The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now, let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very pleased to be presenting this video interview. Our special guest, Connell Fawkes, is a three-time interviewee on the Paul Leslie Hour. And the last two exchanges that we had, they were audio. But this time around, it's pleased to have him. I'm pleased to have him in living color. He is a pianist, a double bassist, a vocalist, a recording artist, a live performer, and I'm a great fan of his music. He has a great solo record. It's called Dizzy Fingers. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I've always enjoyed any time I've been able to communicate with you. So thank you very much for allowing us into your home in this case. It's great to talk to you again, Paul. I always enjoy our conversation. So welcome to my humble abode. And you are in the great state of New York. I'm in the great state of New York. I'm in a little kind of village called Nyack, which is on the Hudson River. Um, and I'm about a 15, 20 minute drive from the Bronx, which is the northern end of New York City. So close to New York City, but definitely in the countryside. <laughs> Well, again, thank you for being on here. And, uh, you know, the question in, in, last year and even into 2021, it's a question that a lot of people are asking, me included, how do we keep the music playing? And so I'm hoping you can tell us, what have you been up to? What's what's new in the world of Connell Fawkes? Well, since uh, March, about this Second week of March was the last time I played publicly before New York lockdown. So it's coming up for close to a year. And in that year, I've done one live gig, which was a private party. And I've done one um, virtual jazz festival that came out of Spain, which I did sitting right here at home. So... My contact with the public has been almost nothing. Um, aside of that, oh, I'm sorry, I did. I took part in a documentary film uh, from um, a producer in Croatia. My wife is Croatian, and uh, they came to the house and um, interviewed me. But um, other than that, it's been... Um, for me, been recording um, music has been, I guess, my only output other than many, many hours of private practice, which has been kind of a luxury, actually, uh, to have these free days to do all these things. You always said, oh, I wish I had the free time to practice this or play that. And uh, 
but I have been um, early on in the in the lockdown. I invested in some recording equipment and some the so computer software, and I'm terrible with those kind of things. So it's been a learning process, and I've actually been using it a lot to to do recordings, but not a lot of contact with the public, unfortunately. Well, something that I thought was very kind of you, you have offered for our viewing audience to perform a song. Yeah. And so I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what you have chosen for us. Well, um, difficult to choose one song because there's uh, so many great ones and I was, uh, had a thought. But this, this is a song that I've loved for many, many years, and it's by a British uh, composer and me being a limey I thought well why not you know <laughs> and uh, I first first encountered the song thanks to Mildred Bailey who did a beautiful recording of this tune with Red Norvo and this combo and um, but I since discovered that uh, many 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 great musicians recorded it in the 40s and then it kind of seemed to slip away and you don't hear it these days and it was written by Billy Reed, was the composer, who also wrote The Gypsy, which uh, some of your listeners may know that Louis Armstrong and others recorded. So um, this one's called I'll Close My Eyes. All right. Well, let's hear it. All right.
everything that's gay If you're not there To share each lovely day And through the years Those moments when we're apart I'll close my eyes And see you Thanks, Paul. Beautiful, beautiful playing and beautiful singing. It's a lovely song. I think it's yeah. a lovely song, and you don't hear it these days so much, but it had its day in the early 40s, I guess. Well, you know, you always hear this term, um, American songbook. And one time I, I got an email from somebody, this was a few years back, and they said, how come you don't hear as much uh, and this person, I should tell you, was from Britain. <laughs> and she was saying, how come you don't hear as much about the British songbook? There's some fantastic tunes if someone is considering diving into that entire world. Absolutely, there are. Um, I think maybe <clears throat> I'll propose this as a possible reason that a lot of the great British songs were performed by American artists mm -hmm. and uh, great American singers and bands and got, I'm sure, lumped in to what we call the Great American Songbook. Um, but you're right, there should be a, a Great British Songbook because there's, really, there's a lot of great material there. Oh, yeah. And, and we, should, uh, we should mention a couple of the great, British composers and lyricists still with us. There'd be Tony Hatch, Leslie Brykus. There's some really, really great writers that are still there. You mentioned Leslie Brykus, one of my absolute favorites. And recently I've been delving into uh, Brykus and Newley things. So they're just, they're just world-class songs. And of course, Ray Noble, we're going back to one of our early giants, and again, Ray came to the States and settled here. And his great songs are all included in the American songbook. And, you know, they deserve to be there. But they are, people forget a lot of the times that they are British, British tunes. I'm curious, listening to your piano playing, and I'm sure a lot of the people watching are curious too, who are the pianists that you would say have had the biggest influence on you? Um, it's a long list. It's a long list. Um, going back to the beginning, thanks to my dad, he, my first couple of LPs that he bought me were of Jay McShann, who's a Kansas City. Uh, they call him a blues piano player, but he's kind of jazz and blues and a wonderful singer. And um, Oscar Peterson. So that's where my dad kind of started me. And I still listen to both of those guys today. I just still absolutely love them. But then along the way, uh, people point you in different directions. And massive influences for me have been Fats Waller, Teddy Wilson, 
um, James P. Johnson, George Shearing, another Brit, um, and later, you know, more more modern guy, but absolutely wonderful. But the list is is very very long, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But I guess there there are some principal influences. Well, this question comes from Jeff Pike, who is uh-huh. a friend of ours now, and you've been working just a bit with him lately. And he wanted to know of you, Connell Fox, who is his favorite vocalist? Wow. Uh, another difficult question to, to narrow down to one. Um, for impeccable perfect beautiful singing voices i'll pick a lady and a gentleman would be doris day and nat king cole however there's all these i mean i can listen to louis armstrong sing all day and he's been a massive influence as he has been on everybody that plays jazz music George Shearing, a lot of people don't know. Sing has has done some recordings singing. And I could listen to that all day. I can listen to guys like um, Jimmy Rolls, who has recorded a few songs vocally. And he would be criticized by many singers as saying, well, you know, he's got a terrible voice. It's all croaky. But it's beautiful what he does. Um. But for the real singer singers of perfect, clear, beautiful voices, perhaps it would be Doris Day for the ladies and uh, Nat King Cole amongst the men. Very, very good choices. Jeff had one other question, which some people might think that this is funny, but it's actually a good question if you know about Connell Fawkes. He says, can he dance? And if so, what is his favorite step? <laughs> wow, that is a hell of a question. Um, <laughs> well, can he dance? I mean, I do dance. But, where, you know, whether someone will say he can dance, is, it's for them to decide. But salsa dancing, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um Swing dance, the dance that goes with a lot of the music I play. I've actually never learned how to do it. And I love seeing it done when, when the band's playing. And um, always wanted to have a go, but never tried it. So I don't know if that answers your question. But the only dance I've really actually learned <laughs> and done a lot of has been salsa dancing. Well, you mentioning the salsa dancing there, I thought, well, Jeff's question is actually, it's pretty perceptive. If anyone wants to go listen to our very first interview, which you can access on YouTube if you want to listen to it, uh, we went in and talked about salsa. We talked about Afro-Cuban music. So it's it's actually a pretty good question. And thank you, Jeff, for, for submitting that question. Tell me a little bit about what you've been doing with him. Uh, I was just listening to a track. Uh, it was of the Irving Berlin song, Always. Yes, yeah. And for your listeners, uh, I want 
I want to say this is all thanks to you, <laughs> Paul. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, so you introduced me to Jeff, and um, we talked about this idea of trying to record virtually, you know, in our different states, um, some music of the – this one happens to be from the 20s. Jeff, I didn't know until you introduced us, and I – looked at his website and on YouTube and he's, he's an absolutely beautiful singer. He's got a lovely voice. And what I heard him do is not of this genre. And I'm guessing you could correct me if I'm wrong, that this is a departure for Jeff stylistically. Correct. Yes. Um, but anyway, he, he proposed that we try one song and basically see how it, see if we could manage it technically with us all being in different places and, and all the rest of it. And so far, it's sounding great, I think. it's. Uh, I started with the piano track, and then he added his uh, wonderful friends on bass and drums, and he sent me that to listen to. And actually today, just about 25 minutes ago, he sent me an updated uh, version with some strings added. And it sounds beautiful. It sounds really wonderful, and I can't wait to hear Jeff sing the song on it because uh, I love his voice, and it's a beautiful song, and, you know, all the ingredients are there. So it's exciting. It is exciting. I'm, I'm enjoying listening to this as it progresses. So it, it, we, we, we can all stay tuned, and, and hopefully there will be more news about that as time goes on. Yes, I hope so. It was uh, a couple weeks back. I was watching. Finally, I got a chance to watch the Woody Allen movie, which wasn't readily available. The a rainy day in New York. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, uh, I bet that that's Connell playing on there. And you've appeared on a number of the soundtracks of Woody Allen movies. And as I was watching, as the credits were ending, I'm one of those people that I I stay until the very, if I'm in the theater, I stay until the very last credit has cleared the screen. I just, I, I, I just become like that. I don't know. I, I feel like if I was credited in the movie for doing something, I would want somebody to, to wait till the end. But I, I wondered as I was watching it, I wasn't in a theater, but I thought, what is it like for you? I mean, here is one of the most important, impressive filmmakers that the world has ever known. When you hear, wow, that's me on the big screen. What is that like? It's it's kind of surreal. And uh, it puts a huge grin on my face. And... Um, it's very exciting and no, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, you know, Woody, Woody, the name Woody Allen and Woody Allen's films have been in my life since I was born, you know, my entire life there's been uh, Woody Allen films coming out and me growing up in this little town in the middle of nowhere in England. I mean, there is in your mind, there is zero chance that you would ever be involved in any of that. And you fast forward 30 odd years or whatever, when I first met Woody and it's, it's a little strange, but wonderful. And then, you know, I joined the band and, and he did use me on several 
films now and it's uh, it's a thrill it's it's wonderful and uh the I, you know i love his films which adds to the pride of being part of it you know uh it's a, it's wonderful i love it and you know you know you know woody has his his uh signature font for yeah. the credits <laughs> i mean that's another kick to see your name in that in that font <laughs> oh yeah that Windsor font. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 Well, I was reading your name on the screen there. I thought, yep, that's my pal. Yeah. Donald yeah. Fawkes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this, this, uh, this latest film, um, rainy day in New York, and another big thrill for me, which I didn't realize till I saw the film was that almost the whole soundtrack is Errol Garner and me which is a ridiculous that ought to be a you know grammatically impossible sentence to put me and his name in this in together like that and you know he's he's been one of my absolute favorites since i was a little kid and for whatever reason woody chose his uh recordings and uh they go throughout the film and then the other little things that he needed uh i did and that was <laughs> Another reason to get this big, broader grin going, you know. Very exciting. Don't you think that this this whole thing about, you know, when there's a piece of art and, and somebody somehow becomes controversial or whatever, and there's an effort to stop somebody, you know, whether it be a painting or a movie, I don't know. I mean, just speaking personally, if somebody tries to, if somebody released an album and they said, you can't listen to this album, for me, it would only increase my want to listen to it. Yeah. Do you yeah, agree? I do agree. I do agree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For me, anyway, personally. That, you know, that's a very interesting question. And and um, it's been up in the air this last couple of years. I don't know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. But I will say that if we knew the half of what people, what goes on in people's lives we wouldn't be listening to any of them or watching any of them. And unfortunately today with everybody tweeting and posting and giving their opinions, um, a lot of these things are made very public and everybody jumps on it because everyone's an expert and everyone's got an opinion and wants to be heard. And then they're very quick to just with a stroke of the hand, Oh, get rid cut his head off, get rid of this one, throw that out. And you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous i guess there is maybe there's a point to it i don't know but uh very intelligently stated i think what have you found when it's like for you just working with woody allen what is, what is he like in person you're arriving at back when you were performing at the carlisle you say hello to him what is the guy like what is woody allen like um He's uh, he's a quiet guy, so he's not a man of a lot of words and he's not one to, you know, hang out and shoot the breeze with the guys and all this kind of thing. But because of the um, the relationship I have with him, I've I've been in, um, you know, situations where maybe it's just two or three of us in a dressing room or 
I've been invited onto the set uh, while he's shooting several times, and there's all this downtime where it might be just he and I waiting for the next thing to happen. And at those times, you know, he'll open up and chat, and and um, you can have a great conversation with him. And he's, you know, he's got all these amazing stories. He's a, he really is a funny guy. As a, as someone to work for, you know, he employs me in the band he's the band leader he's a great boss and he's always uh you know kind of on a level uh keel i've never seen him in a bad mood i've never seen him you know throw a tantrum at anybody you know he's calm relaxed he appreciates us in the band treats us nicely um i i very much enjoy being around him one of the things that inspired me to want to do this third interview with you now, I have to give thanks to a guy, Jack Phillips. He's a singer, a recording artist, and he suggested, what about talking to Connell again? And a lot of people who were really, really f fans of New Orleans jazz, they were well aware of the late Eddie Davis. Yeah. And it was such a loss to music, and I know a personal loss to a lot of people, including you being such a friend of his. I'm hoping you can tell all the viewers out there, I have so many fine recordings that he made. He was, Eddie Davis made some of the best albums that you could just listen to again and again. Tell us, what is the essence of this man? Who who was Eddie Davis? Eddie, Wow. Eddie was a larger-than-life character, and I was around him for about 22 years pretty intensely. I mean, seeing him uh, working with him and being with him and seeing him multiple times a week throughout those 20-plus uh, years. Um, he was, wow, one of the most exuberant, and enthusiastic musicians that I've been around and that kind of uh, vibe, if that's the right word, really rubs off. So I, I got to thank Eddie for a million things that he turned me on to, introduced me to. I'm talking, you know, musically speaking, because he would suddenly go off on something. Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley that we were talking about before. He was a huge fan of their music. And me as a Brit, you know, I hadn't really delved in there. And it was thanks to Eddie, you know, that got me into listening and, and studying that music and many, many other kinds of music besides. Eddie could see the kernel of a piece of music very quickly and, you know, kind of make you aware of it he he seems to have had an amazingly packed life he was almost 80 when he died and he seems to have put into one life what most people would need two or three lives to do and it's all been music and he's been all over the world he's played with all kinds of amazing people he grew up at a time that was 
maybe a richer, healthier time for jazz music. Um, so he was right there with with a lot of the greats that were making that music and taking part in it. And and yeah, he just he brought to the table things that you know a friend of mine a great musician brian nileko who's a bass player said to me after eddie died he said when musicians like eddie go it's like a library was burnt down mm. and i thought that was a great way to put it because another eddie davis isn't going to come along mm. you know, again and uh yeah I could talk about Eddie all day. <laughs> well, I appreciate you you sharing those those thoughts with us. One of the questions that Jack Phillips had, which I'm sure a lot of people would be wondering, do you think it's possible that you and Woody Allen and maybe some of the other musicians, do you think that you all will perform again now that Eddie has passed away? Uh, I feel fairly certain that we will. Um Having spoken to Woody and the management about it, Woody Woody's a workaholic and he loves to play music and he loves to write and do his films and he's not been able to do any of that for almost a year now. He is dying to play again. Hmm. Absolutely no question. The band feels similarly. We love playing together. It's a great band and we're good friends and, you know, um, our residency at the Cafe Carlisle in New York City, um, we fully intend to go back to, but we can't do that until the city of New York and the union, that's the union room, so all the workers are in, in our union members, until they allow it, basically. But from from our perspective, the band from Woody's uh thinking we're, we're all dying to get back we don't know how it's going to be when we go back because eddie davis was a, such a massive part of that group he founded the group he put it together he led he counted off the tunes there was eddie at the front uh, bubbling over with uh personality and all that kind of stuff so we don't know quite what form it'll take we don't know if we'll re we'll have a banjo that's another thing mm. um because as you can imagine, it's very hard to find somebody to put in that chair. Not that they would have to be the new Eddie Davis, but just a banjo player that plays that style and knows that repertoire. So we may try without a banjo. Um, and we may try, you know, maybe we'll audition some guys. So all that's yet to be figured out. Hmm. Well, I think you've given, uh, you've given a lot of people that silver lining or, or not, maybe not silver lining that that gray of sunshine coming through a dark cloud. It, yeah. We're all, we're all dying to play. So I'm sure it's going to happen. Can you imagine what that first night will be like? I mean, it, no. it makes me misty. eyed just to think of it, of, 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 as a, as a, a viewer, as a fan of music to sit in an audience and watch and experience that, it's yeah too, yeah i can't wait me me too and i and i and i'm not sure what to expect mm -hmm. it's going to be very mixed because it'll be the first time 
the guys have been in the same room. First time we played in who knows how long. By the time we get there, it'll be getting on for two years, maybe. And there'll be no Eddie. We don't know what the audience is going to look like. Are they all going to be sitting there with masks on still? And, uh, and you know, it's going to be a mixed, uh, mixed emotions. <laughs> you know, this is probably an obscure question, I guess. Uh, but the other day I was listening to the Dizzy Fingers album to kind of prepare myself for this interview. And uh, I think the name of the song is June Night. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that song? I happen to have just a, a real, I, I love that track. I don't that's know a, much about it. Tell me. That's a great song. I don't know much about the history of the song itself. And, and um, the, the composer Abel Bayer um, wrote some other interesting stuff, but I think that's probably his, um, his, biggest hit i'm trying there's another uh there's another famous one he did i think he wrote uh, my mother's eyes which is another which is a beauty and uh there's a great nelly lutcher recording of that song you have to check that out if you have that i'm pretty sure that's able bear too um but i couldn't actually tell you much more about the song um I'm I'm going to assume maybe wrongly, but I'm going to assume it's a it's a Tin Pan Alley song. I think so. I'm so. thinking it didn't come out of a show. I think it was just written as a song. Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a particularly old one, like the hundred year kind of range. Does that sound yeah, right? Even the date, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it's. But it's a great one, and a lot yeah. of modern, a lot of bebop has recorded that tune. Funnily enough, hmm. yeah. Connell, can you remember the first time that you stepped into a recording studio, not just necessarily as a lead, but even just ever recording? Can you remember that? Um, not exactly the very first time, but you know, I guess probably when I was a student, when I moved to London and. Uh, probably somebody's demo tape that they were making or something like that. Um, I remember it being pretty exciting. You know, there's a, there's a certain fear and excitement about going into a recording studio. Uh, I remember, I tell you a very early memory was going into the Abbey road studios in London. Um, I'm, it wouldn't have been my first ever time in a studio, but it was, you know, pretty early on. And, that was a tremendous thrill and you're in this iconic room in this iconic building with all this world-class gear everywhere and then in, in the hallway walking in there's photos and discs hanging up and people's signatures and uh uh very exciting but to this day uh recording both frightens me and uh excites me because it doesn't forgive anything. It's, it's a very exciting place, a recording studio, to just walking in and just just seeing oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, it's like an Aladdin's cave. <laughs> if you're a musician and you see all this gear lying around and and 
you know, harpsichords and huge drums that somebody used on some session. And, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And all these beautiful old ribbon mics that you see in there. And, uh, yeah. Well, a, a while back when I heard the first incarnation, we were talking earlier about this always track that the the first track was just you laying down the piano and I was playing it on my phone for my wife, uh, Karina, who is from Romania. And she was saying, wow, that's just, that's, that's so beautiful. Uh, and so I, I hope that, I hope that you, uh, won't consider this too pushy, but maybe to send us off on our way. I know I asked for one song, but Maybe there's a song you can think of to send everybody on their way, um, whether instrumental or a, a singing piece. Okay. Um, Feel free well, to refuse me. <laughs> Paul, you're, you're an Irving Berlin fan. Definitely. So how about a little Irving Berlin? It's a very, very early Irving Berlin. That okay. You never hear anymore, and it's such a great tune, and it's called "Waiting at the End of the Road." Okay, I haven't played it in months, so if I if I get it completely wrong, forgive me. <laughs> Alrighty. <sighs>
Donald Fuchs, thank you so much. Paul, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I'll do this anytime with you. It's wonderful. I will hold you to that. <laughs> thank right. you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Connell Fouks. Thanks, Paul. Good night. Ba doodly beep bop da Goodbye.